And so I guess my, my reason for bringing all this to light is because I want us to, with great joy, I want us to know what we're facing in the culture. Hey you guys, this is Christy Young with The Gritty Gospel and I'm pumped to jump right into the topic. Is Gen Z prepared to follow Jesus in a post-Christian world? Hey y'all, so I always want to share things with y'all that I like to know myself. And so again, I told you that I have no original thoughts. I mean, you know, probably very few. A lot of what I get comes from great reputable people who've done diligent study. And this book was printed by and created by Impact 360 Institute and the Barna Group. And they conduct great research, do lots of research on statistics and generations. And they have some great facts in here, facts that I feel like you'll want to know. And so I want to start, the, even the preface by Jonathan Morrow is beautiful. It says this, is Gen Z. Okay, so remember, Gen Z is all of those people who were born from 1999 to 2015. This says, is Gen Z prepared to follow Jesus in a post-everything world? As Christian leaders, pastors, educators, and parents, we want what's best for our kids. We want to see them grow up and follow Jesus for a lifetime. Unfortunately, many Christian teenagers are simply unprepared for the world that is waiting for them. We all know students who have drifted, become disillusioned, or just walked away from the faith. Even one heartbreaking story is enough to move us to action. No student should outgrow their faith. It doesn't have to be this way. Morrow goes on to say, with the best of intentions, we bubble wrap our kids and create Disney World-like environments for them in our churches, and then wonder why they have no resilience in faith or life. Students are entertained but not prepared. They've had a lot of fun but are not ready to lead. When the pressure is turned up and the tyranny of tolerance presses in, Christian teenagers tend to wilt if they do not have the confidence that only comes from knowing why they believe what they believe. He goes on to say that our culture is changing fast and teenagers are confused. And the research that has been done and collected in this book uh, bears that out. And he says when only 34% of Gen Z can agree that lying is morally wrong, that's a big problem. Social media keeps us superficially engaged and overwhelmed by data, opinions, and information, he says. And Gen Z is now the test case for the long-term effects on identity. Social media is completely reinventing what it means to come of age as a teenager. And so there's a lot for Gen Z to navigate. And you guys, that also means that for us as parents of Gen Z kids, that's a lot for us to navigate. There are great opportunities there to be had. He ends his preface with this encouraging. He encourages us. He says this, while it can be tempting in our culture to only pay attention to negative trends, there are positive trends as well. What we choose to focus on makes all the difference. Because Jesus is risen and Christianity is true, we have a living hope regardless of the cultural circumstances we find ourselves in. Whether we are in the majority or being marginalized, our charge as followers of Jesus is to be faithful to pass on our faith to the next generation. He says, as the father of three children, I want to keep them from dead ends because I want something better for them. The kind of joy, confidence, and love that only comes from knowing Jesus for a lifetime. The goal is not just to avoid the bad stuff. It's to pursue the good life as God defines it. So his hope is that the information in these pages makes us aware of the challenges that we face as we raise and interact with Gen Z so that we can prepare but it also gives us a way to frame and invest in the opportunities for incredible influence that awaits Gen Z. Okay, I want to read some statistics that are good sobering statistics for us as millennials or Gen X. 
57% of Gen Z, these are all facts about Gen Z, 57% of Gen Z uh, use screen time media four hours or more on an average day. 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview, and that's out of 69 million children and teens. Only 4% have a biblical worldview. One third of teens says gender is how a person feels inside, not their birth sex. 43% believe happiness is defined by financial success. 39% interact with people who are different from them compared to just one quarter of boomers. So that's a great thing. There are more of more of Gen Z is interacting with people who are different from them. That's good. That's a positive thing. And then 56% say their parents are their primary role model, but only one third state that family is core to their identity. I just think it's very revealing about the culture that uh, exists, the culture that we're parenting, the culture we're raising, and then the culture that our kids, the generation of kids that our kids will be influenced by, or that they, I hope, will blaze and influence. So every generation, every generation that comes up collectively, collectively experiences a handful of events or cultural trends that serve to shape their generational ethos. And so that just means that, you know, every generation is shaped by what's happening in the world around them. And they are cultivated, nurtured, uh, they are impacted by it. And this generation, Generation X, has been dubbed by some as screenagers or the iGen generation because they have basically been raised on screens. It's, they've been raised in a digital age. They came of age in a world saturated by digital technology and mediated by mobile devices. Um, Gene Twinge has dubbed Generation Z as iGen because of the nearly symbiotic relationship between teens and their internet-connected mobile devices. She says this, that smartphones have radically changed every aspect of teenagers' lives. She argues that though they are physically safer, they are psychologically more vulnerable. For instance, teens are less likely to leave their homes, to drink alcohol, to get their driver's license, and to go out on dates than generations before them at the same age. But while teen pregnancies, for example, are rarer than ever, rates of teen suicide and depression have skyrocketed. Twinge believes this is because teens live their social life on their phones, and much of that time is spent in their room, alone, and often distressed. Teens are hanging out with their friends less. Basketball courts and town pools have all been replaced by virtual spaces accessed through apps and the web. Smartphone use is also cutting into teens' sleep time now, with teens sleeping less than seven hours a night. Uh, many young teens and young adults sleep with their phones and check social media just before they go to sleep and then reach for it the minute they wake up in the morning. One quarter admits to eight or more hours of screen time every day, making the smartphone, tablet, or other screen use their daily top activity. And all of the, basically these studies are saying too that because this has just recently, um, this is the first generation that has literally been raised on on media, screen media, and we don't even know the impact of it on their brains. We don't know the long-term, there have not been long-term studies done on the impact that screen use, this significant amount of screen use will have on our brains and on the brains of our children. 
This is another interesting fact. Gen Z, along with millennials, are more likely than the older generations to think social media is a good place to discuss opinions and ideas and to trust the information they encounter online. And that's what's scary to me because I believe that we all need to be skeptics because I believe that the truth is real, that truth really exists. When someone approaches me with something that they claim to be a fact, I want to approach it with skepticism and then I want to do the research to figure out whether or not uh, the statement is a truth or a lie. Because if truth is real, then lies are real. And I want to teach my children the same thing. I want them to be investigators, to be shrewd. And I want them to not accept everything that they hear or things they read online or that other people have spoken as truth without verifying it first, without doing additional research with good, trustworthy websites or books or resources. So one of the things that Gen Z highly values is being happy. Fully half of Gen Z strongly agree that happiness is my ultimate goal in life. 51% of Gen Z says that that is their goal in life, happiness. Yet research shows that more time with screen activities is consistently linked to less happiness. Despite the promise of connection, social media exacerbates loneliness and dislocation and appears to increase rates of depression. The psychological distress of smartphone and social media use is related to the fear of missing out, FOMO especially when those social encounters are documented online so relentlessly. Those who aren't invited to parties, to dinners, to lunches, to hang out in all the places, those who aren't invited are keenly aware through social media of what is happening without them, leading to feelings of exclusion and loneliness. Those who post are also affected, anxiously waiting for the affirmation of comments and likes. This is most acute among young women. So women, in all of these studies, women are affected more than men. That's interesting. And you guys, I feel like this is something that we all know is true, what I'm about to read, but it's still just sobering to hear and to read. And if you want to say these things to our kids, we need to start discussions or be having discussions with our kids about their use of social media. If we allow them to have a tablet or a phone that has access to the internet, uh, which again, I strongly believe that that needs to be limited and that you know, as they're moving on into young adulthood, maybe we begin to allow them to have access to that. But there's no reason that kids need to have access to YouTube and to social media and to Facebook and Instagram and all of these things that instantly additionally put a ton of pressure on them to post and to show basically a fake persona uh, in order to compete with the world. And that's what, that's, let me tell you, that's what this is talking about too. Well, let me just read this. It says this. In order to keep up with their peers, members of Gen Z create a personal brand by manicuring their online presence, driven by the knowledge that they are constantly being watched, not only by their peers, but by their future employers. This is an exhausting way to live, but they don't feel they can stop. Social media is where they feel most seen, but the version of themselves that is being seen there is not authentic. There's no time or place where teens are really safe. Even alone in their bedroom at night, many can't stop scrolling through others' photos or videos. They feel pressured by the temptation to post something. There's just no escape. Uh, The data shows, too, that 33% of kids in Gen Z feel bullied, too, They have been on the receiving end of online bullying, 33%. And that's one-third of 13 to 18-year-olds. 31% of Gen Z feel like looking at other people's posts often makes them feel bad about the way they look. 39% of Gen Z says that looking at other people's posts often makes me feel bad about the lack of excitement in my own life. And 
I don't know. Those are interesting facts because imagine if we just took away their ability to be online, to be active on social media, to see and be exposed to all of this. Why is it even necessary? That's my, my thought is these are children who need to be playing outside, having fun with friends, learning all kinds of cool things through academics and life, living life. Like I just, I just don't know that there's a place uh, for social media and access to TikTok and YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and all of these things that really overwhelmingly can and do often have a negative effect on our kids, we would just be wise as parents to greatly limit their ability to access the internet where they where we don't get to see what they're on, what they're looking at. And then to, uh, I don't know, to be able to create profiles on all of these platforms or to look at other people's profiles. All, it just becomes a competition. That's what this Gen Z book explains. All, and then we already know that. It just becomes a competition. You're constantly, even though you're wanting to connect with friends, and that's the pro, that's the, that's the positive, right, of social media. The negative, though, is that, as this reports to the studies show, that all, they are really literally then competing with all their friends because they're all trying to live their best lives now online with their manicured accounts and what they're posting. So it's all really fake. And then it all becomes a competition with one, between each other. And as Christians who are aiming to be godly and to live godly lives, becoming more and more like Christ, I don't know that there's a place for this at all. And if nothing, if the majority of what's coming out of this is negative, then I think it's wise for us to cut it off or to, you know, to be slow in allowing access to things until our kids are about ready to get out of our homes, you know, to move on into adulthood. And then I, I just know that we need to be busy at work. We, there are great a great number of discipleship opportunities in Gen Z. And so we need to be aware of the culture that our kids are being raised in and find ways to, one, we've got to teach them about what, why they should believe the Bible is true. That's so important because the minute the culture shakes that or it makes or challenges it, we don't want them to be shifting and wondering whether the Bible is true or not. We, we should be teaching them that the Bible is true and trustworthy and why in addition to teaching them what the Bible says. And so I just want to encourage you, and I hope that as we jump into Bite Size Apologetics, that you will get equipped and your kids will be equipped and that we can address some of these issues head on. Okay, finally, I wanted to read you all this. Uh, many, And this is talking about how our kids are born into a post-Christian world. Their worldviews, many of Gen Z, have a post-Christian worldview, which basically means that they were not raised in a Christian culture. That even the culture that we live in, you know... Several hundred years ago, we lived in a Christian culture where people valued the word of God. People lived by uh, moral truths that were rooted in the word of God. People, more people believed that lying was wrong because God's word said that it was wrong. More people believed that, uh, you know, that man was, that people were born male and female and that marriage was between one man and one woman. Uh, those were all truths objective truths found in the word of God. And that, and we lived in a, a culture that held a more predominant biblical worldview or was a Christian culture than we do now. Now, this is what Gen Z says, this book, Gen Z. Many in Generation Z, more than in generations before them, are a spiritual blank state. They are drawn to things spiritual, but their starting point is vastly different from previous generations, many of whom received a basic education on the Bible and Christianity. 
So they're saying that previous generations did receive a basic education on the Bible and Christianity, but Gen Z has not. The worldview of Gen Z, by contrast, is truly post-Christian. They were not born into a Christian culture, and it shows. When researchers segment Gen Z by faith, they found that while a majority of teens still identify as Christian, 58% still identify as Christian, only 43% have recently attended church, and just 1 in 11 is an engaged Christian with beliefs and practices that put faith front and center in their lives. This is a significantly smaller percentage than their grandparents. 14% of boomers are engaged Christians. Finally, it's worth reading this too. This says, The rise of the religiously unaffiliated, or nuns, is symptomatic of a growing cultural apathy toward religion. He suggests that nominal Christians, this is Mr. James Emery White in his book, Meet Generation Z. He suggests that nominal Christians, those who identify culturally with the name, if not with the commitment, are no longer the center between the poles of the religious and the atheist. The culture is secularizing, and those in the middle are shifting away from the religious pole. As the cultural cost of being a Christian increases, people who were once Christian only in name likely have started to identify as nuns, disintegrating the ideological bridge between unbelievers and believers. And so basically what Mr. White is saying here is that it used to be that we would have believers on one, on one side and then non-believers on the other side. And that somewhere in the middle were the nominal Christians who would call themselves in name only Christians, but they really were not believers and followers of Christ. Now those people are moving toward no religion or atheism because the cost of being Christian is so great in the culture. The, the cost is too great for someone who doesn't actually follow Jesus to identify as a believer. So they're all moving toward uh, status as an unbeliever or an atheist or an agnostic. They don't desire the label of Christian. And so I guess my, my reason for bringing all this to light is because I want us to, with great joy, I want us to know what we're facing in the culture. As we, and then I am a millennial, but I know that, uh, I know that the generation above me are their generation X. And then I, I just know that we need to be busy at work. We, there are great a great number of discipleship opportunities in Gen Z. And so we need to be aware of the culture that our kids are being raised in and find ways to, one, we've got to teach them about what, why they should believe the Bible is true. That's so important because the minute the culture shakes that or it makes or challenges it, we don't want them to be shifting and wondering whether the Bible is true or not. We, we should be teaching them that the Bible is true and trustworthy and why in addition to teaching them what the Bible says. And so I just want to encourage you, and I hope that as we jump into Bite Size Apologetics, that you will get equipped and your kids will be equipped and that we can address some of these issues head on. Alrighty, you guys, thanks for watching. Please share these videos and like and subscribe to the channel because it helps support the ministry so that we can continue to create content.